Genesis to Revelation, but they're going to say, is the God of the Bible someone who I should consider worshiping by the way that we live? And that's a terrifying thing, isn't it? Because you start saying to yourself, well, I, I mean, how am I living? Does my life portray the beauty of who the true and living God is? People can learn a lot about who you are and what you value by watching how you live your life. Today, Pastor Daniel reminds you that your life might be the only Bible that people ever read. How you live is important because you are representing God to the world around you. The things you do and say show people what God's like and if it's worth it to follow Him. You'll discover that God gives you the Holy Spirit to help you navigate life with confidence. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Numbers chapter 20 as he continues his message, Four Sad Events. were back with us many moons ago when we studied Exodus chapter 17, we have a similar situation where they were without water and God told Moses, listen, I want you to take your rod and I want you to strike the rock and water is going to come out to it. But now God's command is different. He says, I want you to speak to the rock and the water is going to come out of it. But what's interesting is Moses has had enough. You might say, listen, after 40 years of complaining, I would have snapped a long time earlier. But Moses, now he's done. Because look what it says in verse 9. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together, verse 10, before the rock. And he said to them, here now, you rebels, must we bring forth water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and he struck the rock twice with rod. And water came out abundantly. Moses snapped. Moses started yelling at the people. Here now, you, did God tell them to say, here now, you rebels? No, that was not the voice of God. That was the voice of Moses's pent up frustration. And then he is so angry that he says, must we bring forth water out of this rock for you? Now, is Moses bringing anything out of anything? No, but when you're angry, you say dumb stuff. Everybody knows that, right? Don't try it at home. When you're angry, you say dumb stuff. And listen, God takes what Moses does very seriously because Moses was the mediator for God with the people. God takes this seriously. So I want to show you God's response. And then I'm going to explain to you why this is so important. Look at what happens. Verse 12. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and says, because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring the assembly into the land which I have given you. He said, you did not believe me? So it was a faith issue to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. He said, look, not only did you not trust me, but you did not lift up my name and who I am in reverence before the people. 
He's saying, you were a bad witness, Moses. You did not well represent me. And he says, because of that, you are not going to be able to bring this assembly into the land. And then in verse 13, you kind of get this close out where it says, this was the water of Mirabah because the children of Israel contended with the Lord and he was hallowed among them. And that word Mirabah literally means the waters of contention. They renamed the place the waters of contention. Why? Because the children of Israel contended with the Lord there, but his name was still hallowed. Now, what's all this about? Because you might say like, okay, so God told Moses to speak to the rock and he struck the rock and now he's punished. Why is this so important? Let me explain to you why. And there's a very specific reason. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse four, we learn that that rock that followed the children of Israel in the wilderness was who? Was Christ, was Jesus. Now, think of the picture. Exodus chapter 17. We need water. Okay. You need to take your rod, that walking stick of wood. You need to strike the rock and water comes forth. Think of the picture. Jesus is the rock. In the Bible, wood is always a picture of what? The cross. Water in the Bible is always a picture of what? The Holy Spirit. You take the rock, Jesus, he gets crucified. What comes forth? The Holy Spirit. Perfect picture, right? The second time they need water, God says, look, I want you to bring the rock. I want you to bring your rod, but I want you to speak to the rock. But what does Moses do? He gets man and he hits the rock twice. What did Moses do wrong? If Jesus has already died and risen again and God has issued forth his spirit, Jesus doesn't need to be crucified again for us to give his spirit. We just need to ask. Moses mangled God's picture. He mangled it. He said, listen, because you have to realize you do not need Jesus to die again so that you and I can have the experience of the rushing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. All we need to do is just ask. You know how I know? Because of Luke chapter 11. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to who? To those who ask. See, Moses didn't even realize that all of this was a picture for every other generation that after the finished work of Jesus on the cross, all we have to do is ask for help. That's it. And listen, I love my friends in the charismatic movement, but you don't need to yell at God to get the Holy Spirit. He's your dad. You don't you yell at your dad? I hope not. You just ask. You don't need to do some special thing. See, we get caught up in these kind of hyper-spiritual calisthenics and has no grounding in God's revealed word. God says, look, you want the power of the Holy Spirit? Ask. Ask. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You don't need to convince him. You don't need to declare it. You need to say, Papa, please, power. I need your spirit to stir in my life. And he's like, yeah, I want you to be empowered. I want the spirit to stir. I'm your dad. You need this more than you realize. See, Moses misrepresented all that God was to the people. He showed them the wrong witness. Now, again, 
That's why there's so much ethical teaching in the Bible as well. Because you and I are witnesses to who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the biblical God is. And I've said it a million times, I'll keep saying it. Your life is the only Bible that most people will ever read. Your life. They're not going to read Genesis to Revelation. But they're going to say, is the God of the Bible someone who I should consider worshiping by the way that we live? And that's a terrifying thing, isn't it? Because you start saying to yourself, well, I, I mean, how am I living? Does my life portray the beauty of who the true and living God is? Or is there all sorts of garbage involved in it that makes people think that I'm just like everybody else? And so why is Jesus important? God cares about the testimony of our lives because he realizes that we are all living epistles. We're living letters of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, it's really easy to say something like that and think that it's a downer, but don't forget what we were just talking about, that it's our Father's desire to give us the Spirit. So it's not like the Lord's like, you need to get it right, and I'm just going to watch you fail. God's not like that. He's not like, you need to get everything right, and I'm just going to watch, and oh, yeah, you don't even know what you're supposed to be doing. No, he's like, look, I'm going to give a helper the comforter, the empowerer, because you can't pull spirit-filled and godly life out of the depths of your own being, but I know how to. And I want you to simply ask because Jesus finished the work and I want you to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And we're gonna be studying that this upcoming weekend and the next bunch of weekends in the book of Galatians as we move into Galatians chapter five. Because it's simply, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Because you're walking in the Spirit. And the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit are antithetical to one another. You can't get one with the other. They happen separately. So Moses finds out he's not allowed to enter the promised land. Now, there's another reason why Moses can't bring the children of Israel into the promised land. Now, I didn't want to leave this without sharing this with you. In the Bible, Moses is always equated to who? The law. Because God gave the law to Moses for the children of Israel. Now, who was the leader who was able to bring the children of Israel into the promised land? What was his name? Joshua. Anyone know what Joshua is in the Hebrew? Yahshua or Jesus. <laughs> Why? Because only Jesus can bring us into the promised land. The works of the law will never get us into the promised land. And isn't that the New Testament gospel? The gospel is works can't get us there. The finished work of Jesus has gotten us there. And if Moses, the bringer of the law, could bring us into the promised land, again, it's the wrong picture. But Joshua can. Yahshua what does Joshua mean? Yahshua, God, our salvation. Yah, God, Yahweh, Shua, our salvation. See, we always have to remember, you can't work your way into the promised land, but Jesus can bring you in. And he has brought you in because he finished the work. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to be the engagement ring that we are Christ. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 1 where it says that the spirit is the down payment. That word in the Greek literally means the engagement ring. The surety is what the King James says, which is a down payment. That's what an engagement ring is. You gals, if a guy gives you an engagement ring, that's a down payment that one day he's going to really marry you. 
You don't just give them out for fun. You say, look, I'm putting this on your finger because one of these days when we get everything together and we find the perfect little chapel and a great pastor and all these things, I'm going to make you my wife, right? It's not just to keep the diamond industry in business either. It's a down payment. And the Holy Spirit functions the exact same way in our lives. The Spirit of God is the engagement ring. And you and I have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit because Jesus is saying, look, one day I'm going to come back. I'm going to make you my own in fullness. And that's exactly what John chapter 14 is all about. Jesus is using marriage language. He's saying, look, I go away to prepare a place for you. There's many mansions in my father's house. If it wasn't so, I was going to tell you, but I go to prepare a place. I'm going to come. I'm going to bring you back to myself. And if you have the Holy Spirit because of the finished work of Jesus, and you've simply said, God, stir your spirit in my life. God, I want the power of your Holy Spirit to be made manifest, to touch down in this life. And you are not ashamed to every single day say, Lord, stir your spirit in me. Lord, pour out your spirit afresh. Lord, I want my life to be an absolute train wreck of your Holy Spirit. And I use that train wreck language for a reason, because when you are filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, your life gets train wrecked in the most beautiful kind of a way. It's a total explosion of what God wants to do. And I love seeing what God's doing here at Crossroads. As many people are getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and they're having God train wreck certain aspects of their life so that God can do something absolutely glorious. Because a train wreck isn't this contained thing. It's all over the place. And that's what God wants to be in our lives. But only Joshua can bring us into the promised land. Can't be Moses. The law can't get you there. No amount of religious rule keeping. I don'ts and I do's. No, Jesus did it. The rock was struck with the wood of the cross of the Holy Spirit. The water comes forth. And God told Moses, listen, just speak to the rock. Don't strike it again. But Moses gets mad. He's not going to be able to lead him into the promised land. Now, in verse 14, we get the third of our four sad experiences. It says, now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, you shall know all the hardship that has befallen us, how our fathers went down to Egypt and we dwelt in Egypt a long time and the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. Verse 16, when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent the angel who brought us up out of Egypt. Now here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass through your country. We will not pass through your fields or vineyards, nor will we drink water from wells. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. Then Edom said to him, you shall not pass through my land lest I come out against you with the sword. So the children of Israel said to him, we will go by the highway, and if I or my livestock drink any of your water, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. And he said, you shall not pass through. So Edom came out against them with many men and with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. Now what's interesting is that when you realize that the children of Israel and the Edomites were actually family members, every time you read about the Edomites, 
in the Bible, you realize that this is a family skirmish. Now, you guys remember from the book of Genesis, Jacob and Esau didn't get along so well because Jacob was a scoundrel and Esau was a man of the flesh. So you put those two together and that's really bad. But God did the work in Jacob's life. God messed his hip up, gave him a limp. God changed his name from Jacob, which means heel catcher, which literally is a scoundrel, to Israel, which means governed by God. So God did a work in Jacob, but now we have conflict. And notice, the children of Israel are just asking to pass through. They say, listen, you know our story. We're a family. You know that we, were, we ended up in Egypt. We were enslaved there. God delivered us. We cried out to him. He delivered us. And we just want to pass through. We're not going to touch anything. If we use anything, we're going to pay for it. Just let us. We're going to stay on the highway. Let us pass through. And the Edomite said, no way. Now, what do we learn from this? Now, the book of Obadiah is in the Bible because of this conflict. It's in there as well as also the book of Nahum, two of the minor prophets, both deal with the Edomites and what is the punishment for the Edomites for the way they've treated their family members. But you know what? Sometimes, no matter how nicely you ask, people are still going to be mean to you. It's a good lesson that there's certain times that no matter how much you do, someone's still just going to be wrong to you. Like, the children of Israel's request is not mean. It is not dishonest. It's like, hey, we're just traveling through. Are we allowed to travel through? We don't want to make you nervous that we're coming through. So can we come through? It's not a crazy request. But the Edomites said no. And they went at him again. Please, listen, if we even turn aside to drink water, we'll pay for it. No. And literally we find out that the Edomites come out in war against the children of Israel. And this is a sad event because you see now that there's hostility there. And really, as you read through your Bible, you find that the children of Israel are perpetually perplexed with hostility from the surrounding nations. There's always something that's going on. And I think it is encouraging for us, and I think we need hope in the midst of it, because sometimes, no matter how politely you ask, no matter how reasonable your request is, sometimes people just don't respond great to it. And notice what the children of Israel do. It simply says that they, in verse 21, that they turned away from him. They went a different direction. They didn't fight with him. They didn't go to war against him. They just walked another route. It would have been the simplest way, the way that they were going to go, but Edom was unusually hostile. They were unprovoked and they were rash and they were threatening war and so the children of Israel decided to change their course and you know what brothers sisters sometimes that's the best thing to simply change course if you're trying to do something and you hit unprovoked hostility sometimes it's the best thing just to change our course and you know you don't find the children of Israel trying to reason with them trying to change their mind they tried twice it wasn't going to happen they said we're just going to change our course But there's no other way the children of Israel could ask. They were more than polite, respectful, thoughtful. But the Edomites were having none of it. It's a good reminder of the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans who says that we should live peaceably with all people when it's within our power. He's saying that as much as is on our side, we should live peaceably with all people. But he also realizes that sometimes 
it's not within our power. Because it takes two people to be at one. It doesn't take one person. I mean, God can unilaterally change a relationship. We cannot. But they did everything that they could. But it's sad, though, because this is family. Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. And now, hundreds of years later, you can't even pass through their land without there being an issue. And that's going to be something we're going to hear more about the Edomites as we go on through. And then finally, look at, we hit the death of Aaron in verse 22. Now the children of Israel, the whole congregation, journeyed from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor by the border of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given the children of Israel. Because you rebelled against my word at the water of Mirabah, then Aaron and Eleazar, his son, take them and bring them up to Mount Hor and strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar, his son. For Aaron shall be gathered to his people and die there. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded. And they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar, his son. And Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. Now when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, all the house of Israel mourned for Aaron 30 days. Here is a definite marker in the story of the children of Israel. At the end of 38 years, Israel had been sentenced in the wilderness. We find out in Numbers 33, 38, Aaron died there in the 40th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt. So this is a definite marker. Now, what is interesting about this is that although it was Aaron's time to go and be gathered to his people, God did not leave the children of Israel without a high priest because there is a changing of the guard where now because Aaron is going to die, Eliezer, who after the death of Aaron's two older sons in Leviticus chapter 10, Eliezer was the next in line. And so God said, Moses, I want you to take Aaron and I want you to take Eliezer, his son. I want you to have him go on up to the top of Mount Hor. I want you to strip off the priestly vestments from Aaron and I want you to put them on Eliezer. Once that was done, Aaron died and now Moses comes down with Eliezer. And now the children of Israel, they first mourn for the death of Aaron, but they also realize that there is a new high priest now. Jesus is real. We're so glad that you stayed with us as Pastor Daniel continued in this wilderness series, a study of the years the Israelites spent wandering the desert. Today, you learned that the Israelites were harshly rejected when they reached out to the Edomites for permission to pass through their land. Pastor Daniel shared that sometimes you just have to change course in the face of hostility. While followers of God should try to live at peace with others, you can only control your own response and actions. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. 
thank you for prayerfully considering this. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus' Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus' Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel will share that distractions can wreck what God is trying to do in your life. You'll learn that the children of Israel faced a lot of distractions. From opposing armies to their own complaining, these diversions choked their joy and kept them from pursuing God's plan. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. We have a Pastor Daniel and the entire production team. We invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.